How's it going, Wayne? Did you have a nice Christmas? I had a wonderful Christmas. It was very good. I've never watched It's a Wonderful Life, and I and I did watch it just before Christmas, and I really, I don't know why that film puts me in the Christmas spirit, because everybody who has watched it will know what it's about. Yeah. It does, the, the ending of it. Put, and I think from that moment on, I was inspired by George Bailey, and I, I just, I've really felt I'm at peace with myself. I've took it. I took my foot off the pedal. I've had a very easy sort of five or six days, and really, really enjoyed it. And United coming back to play some football has helped as well. well it's been a nice soft landing, hasn't it? And a couple of victories. And I wasn't sure how it would how it would work out because United had so many players at the World Cup, as many as anyone basically. And yeah, but Ed, you're you're navigating into football conversation and I haven't asked you how your Christmas was and oh, the, listeners, the listeners will go Wayne you are being so <laughs> rude here so yeah yeah but pretty quiet to be honest thanks well, it depends on the household but in this household Thanksgiving seems to be a bigger a bigger thing where the family all gets together and Christmas seems to be kind of quiet which is fine by me I'm not one for yeah. I'm not one for like those sort of big traditions like that anyway so it has been a bit too much food and far too much drink and looking forward to cutting some of that out in January as as you do yeah. and it's and football as well so the build-up was all World Cup World Cup which was fine and exciting and and obviously a really good final all of that but then the mode switched to United quite quickly yeah to be honest well like three days so yeah. which is just strange isn't it i mean I, I guess everyone just has to adjust i i it's weird for fans like us but for the footballers who've been basically warm weather training and the intensity of that competition to then switch to burnley at home in the efl cup must be yeah, must be pretty pretty odd but they're pros and united won that burnley game really easily I don't. I don't suppose we need to talk about that in any depth, really. But but yeah. Anyway, Christmas was fine. Thank you, and <laughs> and kind of glad to get back into watching some domestic stuff. I I did find it interesting that they talked about Ten Hag employing psychologists to deal with the transition of it all because because it's so unique. Do you know, like what what does one use to gain advantage over another? Because there's no precedent of major international. Well, I, I guess there is in terms of if you look at the African. Uh, tournaments that have happened but I mean yes. in, in that yes. case and it's fairly standard across the sport I know this is a, a different kettle of fish in terms of it being um, a much greater number of players but the actual uniqueness of the situation you can apply the same kind of terms so I, I, I did find it I, I did think that there would be some kind of psychological thing because especially with the, the players who got towards the semi-final and the final, even the knock, all the knockout stages because obviously it's a different emotional process from that moment in time because even with England, how realistic or unrealistic, you still think that they've got ambitions of winning it, of being that mm-hmm. team that breaks that duck. And, and, and obviously the time goes on and they think that they, they've got an increasing chance. And then the players who get to the final, Varane, a winner, and then a loser, in the way that they lost Martinez, a winner now, and obviously he's had time off. The last thing, if you'd have given me £500 and said, who is the player who's playing on the 27th of December at the end of that game, I wouldn't. and you said Verano Martinez, I would have said Martinez, 1 million percent. So for Verano to, to have played it and to have played so well as the yeah. only sort of 
player in that cog who was in that system who was in his natural position for right. for a little bit in terms of Ten Hag's defense. Yeah, I, I was very surprised by that, but I. I, I I do find myself interested in that psychological thing. Do you know, will there be some kind of anger over there for the players? Because it is a human condition, right? For and that's sure. The thing that we're looking at, and and it's well, not if just, you look it, at Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw, they seem to have a season-long hangover. Last time after the Euros, yeah, so, exactly. I, and I, I yeah. don't know if they're related, but but maybe Ten Hag's looked at that and said, "Well, hang on a minute, this is important," and it, it really is because there's no time off. They, it's not as if they've even been able to. Go and sit on the beach or in Ionapa or Miami or wherever footballers or like to hang out in the summer. Greece. Some of them do. Yeah, Some yeah. Some Manchester United you know, captains like to frequent. Um, at, at to his majesty's pleasure or whatever <laughs> the, the relevant term is in Greece. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so I'm, I'm quite, I'm, I'm sure Ten Hag is right to, to think about that side of things and how do you refocus. And now Burnley was good because... It's a kind of reintroduction, but a bit soft. It's This is obviously a championship side and they're going well, but they're nothing like Sean Dyche in your face, like he, launching it, was weird. it long. Was, yeah. Wasn't it weird to watch a Burnley side? for And even the Burnley side... Tiki-tackering it around, yeah. Even before Dyche, they, they were the same kind of... Let's, no, do you know what? I, I, I'm normally quite respectful with opponents and I'll say, oh, blah, 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 blah. But I'm going to... Because I'm still... I'm, I'm going to use some local resentment and anger and rivalry in this. Burnley are a bunch of cloggers, and that's what they <laughs> traditionally used to be. Yep. And like, but back to Bob Lord's days, we've all had the antagonistic. If, if you know your United history, you know Bob Lord, yep. and you know what a, a piece of work he was. So, yeah, we are going to lay into Burnley. They're not used. This is why I know that they're doing really well, and I know they might be a different proposition when they come up, but they're not up yet. They went down and they're still in the, the championship. So I'm going to have a little bit of fun because they were weak. They, they're trying to play ideas above their station. They can't do it yet. And came to Old Trafford and Marcus Rashford ran rings around them. Oh, what? Yeah, you said there wasn't much to talk about. We can talk about the Rashford goal because yes, I, I know I know that that defence is not Arsenal of 1999 before anyone comes at me. But I loved <laughs> the, the incisiveness of the run from... He was so reminiscent of Giggs, the way that he sort of ran with purpose from the halfway yeah, line. Sure. He went, do you know yeah. what? I'm, I'm going to score a goal now. And he did it. And we haven't really seen that since Ronaldo in 2007, that kind of penetration. So to see a player run like that and just go, I'm scoring. And then he did. And it was a great finish as well. It is one that we will remember. And it, it was so good for Rashford because obviously, as we'll come on to talk about, for to get a goal like that in a game like that straight after the World Cup to sort of shake it off and say, no, do you know what? I'm still in form. Yeah, perfect for that. And and Burnley, right. with their identity shift, they're not quite sure. Are we meant to be cloggers? Are we are we going to play some football now? They were caught betwixt and between and they suffered the price. And I hope that they don't get promoted. <laughs> oh, no, I, I have no love for Burnley. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Primarily uh, because I don't want to have to eat, eat my words and say that they're a good footballing team next season. I mean, they probably will be. That's, that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, I was looking at the, the data on Burnley and they're really only second to Manchester City in, in the English leagues for number of passes per yeah. game and, and the kind of slowness of the build-up. We didn't really see that. At Old Trafford, I mean, they didn't have much of the ball, really. And, and uh, United, obviously, were perfectly professional and their heads were in the right place after the World Cup. And they, they did a job there, which is uh, which is good. Uh, hey, 
I think that was the sixth home draw in a row. And then we've got another one, which is the seventh cup draw, say, so yep. seventh in the quarterfinal. So United v City in the semi final of the FAL Cup is nailed on, I'd say. Mm-hmm. We've yes. had that before, haven't we? But anyway, it was it was nice it was nice landing rather than it being a kind of really intense game because I, I do wonder whether some of the players just needed a little bit of time. Some yeah. some of the the weird thing is like it's not even like this is the first game after preseason where everyone would be at sort of the same level. We've had some players do nothing but training and a couple of really pointless yeah. friendlies for a month and some players having really intense games and so their levels of fitness are surely different as well as their their mental state. But did a did a professional job against Burnley, I thought. And and that goal, yeah, will live long in the memory and it's just great for Marcus to be there because We've seen so much over the last two two years of him just kind of running at opponents and then running out of ideas. And, yeah, but and, it, it, it almost like it wasn't him in his own skin. Do you know what I mean? And that was yeah. the thing where we would get frustrated because, and that and that is the difference of confidence. If anyone is ever wanting to do a crash course on what confidence does to a player, watch tapes of Rashford from twelve months ago, and then watch watch him today because you watch a player from twelve months ago when he ever got the ball, you knew. And I don't know what it is. It's just, it was just the sense you knew that he couldn't go past that player and he could have been any fullback in the league. He would have gone, I'm not going to do it. But now you'd fancy him. And not necessarily running at and dribbling past, but you would fancy him on a one-on-one against any defender in the league. We've seen him do it against Arsenal. We've seen him do it against Liverpool. We've seen him do it, obviously, in, in other cup games as well. And he, he's got that sort of bite in him again, you know, and the... The di- yeah, as mentioned earlier, the directness in his play is so. When when you see a player like that, they they're the scary players because their capability is transformative in terms of what your team is looking to achieve. And Rashford in this kind of form, and I'm not saying that it's just because he's in form and he's hyper- hyperbolic. When you've got a player with that kind of incision who can do what he can do, while looking at a, a literal game changer in the league, and so, and it's not just that with Rashford, you know, and, and everyone listening to this knows it's not just that with Rashford. It, it does mean more because it's him. So to see him go through what he's gone through, and to see him now play the way that he does, it's a testament to him, but it is also a very encouraging testament to the manager as well because you know everyone's yeah. hearing good things about his man management skills and this he's, is he's had some it. like Rashford obviously he burst onto the scene under Louis but he's had some really different coaching styles ever since then I mean Van Hull is all about movement and where you're supposed to be on the pitch Mourinho just left it to the forwards apparently yeah. in terms of like how they play uh, and Ollie was all about the vibes man. Uh, and now in Ten Hag, you have a kind of technocrat who's a mix of someone who's a systems coach and really has a way he wants his team to play. And you can see that it's it's really imprinted on the team, but but also like very, very keen on the details. And I think all of that coaching is going to be good for Marcus, right? Not only like this is what I want you to do. Very clear that he wants him to play in space as well as the ball into feet. Yeah. And because he's just so devastating with that first sort of 20 yards of pace and, and intelligence as well. And I think it's going to be great for Marcus. The injury problems seem to be over as well. It's, you know, touch wood, touch everything that they are because he had that bad shoulder and then ankle yeah. injury. And that, that basically dogged him for two years as well. We shouldn't forget that. And to have him back now is just a massive, massive weapon for United. It's so important. It seems to be our kind of strongest area now, doesn't it? The left side of the attack. So... 
But I feel like in terms of talent, out, but... in talent, it has been for a long time. But if you look, people, listeners are going to go, oh, you've said the S word. Back when, we, even going back to Sanchez, when we first signed Sanchez, in terms of ability, you would say, oh, at that time, Rashford and Martial, were their form competing against each other position was the strongest element of the team. That seemed to be the strongest um, avenue of how, how well we were doing. And then we brought Sanchez in. It was like, all right, well, you're packed with talent at least. And obviously, then it went it went backwards. But in terms of the actual mobility and in frequency of ability, you have got that stacked area of the squad. Even when you got rid of Sanchez, um, you get Sancho in, who was a natural player from that side. So we've always had quality from that side. But it is funny because if you look at the qualities of those players and what they bring to the team... Yes, all right, you said that they link in combinations in that kind of area. But if you look, if you strip it back in terms of the individual qualities, you say, all right, you've got pace, you've got the ability to break between the lines, you can get behind the defence because you've got the, the speed to be able to do that. And it does come down to what you were saying earlier about the directive from the manager. You know, if he's got a game plan in there, and it's not necessarily always a game plan of term, in terms of this is what we're going to do all the time, you can see that some of his game plan is this is what we're going to do in terms of the opposition. And as soon as a player like Marcus Rashford has got that kind of directive, you've seen a massive kind of difference. Because like you said earlier, I even think Van Gaal, as autocratic as he is, he had this kind of leniency with the kids when they came in, which is why he's so vibrant in the play, because he kind of sort of said, you can get on with it. Obviously, like you said, Mourinho didn't give any direction with the, the attack. Solskjaer, yeah, I, I know some players talked about his help with the finishing. I think Green would mention that a couple of times. But in terms of the rest of it, it was kind of like, you're talented enough to sort those problems out yourself. And whereas this is the first time where he's saying, no, we're, Van, um, Ten Hag's kind of saying, you, you, we're going to exploit a space in the, this area. We're going to do this and this. And it gives Rashford, in particular, a purpose. He knows exactly what he's supposed to be on the pitch. So it's not when he gets the ball, he's kind of expected to make something out, happen out of nothing. He's saying, no, I'm supposed to be in this area doing this because this is what is going to bring the best to the team. And it might be running at a player with the ball or it might be trying to get in behind the defence. But he knows he's supposed to be in that area all the time causing that kind of problem. Right. And you've seen a very, very different player because of that. And but no, I'm just elaborating. I'm, I'm giving my thoughts on what you said earlier because I thought the, the, the Van Gaal thing that you said is a really good point because it... When you look at what he's been through, Rashford, and the, the difference in the coaches that he's been through, you can see the progression or you can see the, the impact that that's had on his play. So to see to see this kind of directive from a man, it's good to see it articulated in such a way that's easy for the person who might have been critical of him to understand. Do you know what I mean? You look at him and say, sure, what's yeah. going on yeah. with him? Now you can sort of see, well, no, this is what happens. And that, by the way, I say this is someone who was a big fan of Solskjaer. I don't necessarily say it's all vibes. I thought he was sometimes tactically underrated, but in terms of his attacking approach, you can now definitely see the benefit of a system where these players are told to do specific things, and it's having yeah. a massive impact on United. Form. Yeah, no, I, I didn't want to be mean about Oli. I mean, I'm, I was being very reductive, obviously. But and anyway, look, Marcus, great yeah. for him, and I guess that gives us a nice transi- transition into thinking about Forest because he, he got the opening goal there, another very nice goal. Yeah, yeah, Ericsson involved, and it, it's just 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 confidence seems to be flowing through him. We, we're going to need that 
especially since it looks like not to not to go talk about transfers too much. It looks like United will not be bringing in a, a big name forward this winter. So we're, we're going to need goals from all around the the team. Yeah aren't we? And and Marcus is going to be a key cog in that. And like, if, if Martial stays fit, Marcus can play off the left. And I think that's, he actually likes that because of the ability to, to get in, cut in and get into those central areas and shoot. But he can also go around the player on the wide side as well. And it just gives him more options than playing centrally, I think. And Martial, although he's not the world's best number nine, He's pretty good. He's got some talent and he got a nice goal against Forrest. And uh, if if he's motivated, question mark always, is he motivated? Yeah. He had that horrible loan spell at Sevilla where they, they pretty much decided he wasn't motivated. And if he's fit and he's not often fit, he's he's an asset for United. And and great. I mean, I, I having been not exactly part of Tony Martial FC or anything like that, but wishing him to do well for all these years i have no real faith and at the at basically yeah. in the summer i thought it's it was time to let him go and move on and but he didn't he's still at united and if he's playing well he's going to be an asset and he's it's, there's a focal point to the attack there and and then he gets a lot of players around him marcus yeah. bruno anthony which probably that is probably ten hag's favored front three four now yeah. i assume yeah, and and it's very dynamic, and they can switch around and move into different positions. They there is a kind of weakness in that front four in terms of like f- consistent finishing, mm. which we saw to some extent in these two games, at least against Forest. Could have been even bigger the score. Yeah. So and and that that's going to be the question asked until January the thirty first, I guess. Will United bring in that forward and, and bolster that those options? But I like what it looks like. It's dynamic and it's flexible and it's, it feels like a Ten Hag kind of team. It's just very hard to see it continuing, isn't it? Because of yeah. injuries and form and all of that. Yeah, Rudyard Kipling wrote the poem specifically for Anthony Martial, one would suspect. But no, I'm being mean. But to, to your point... The thing with Martial is that you you mentioned like you could have easily seen him go last summer. I, I've sort of if if you go back to this the summer where Mourinho wanted to replace him with Martial with William, I've seen the merit in a solution that says Martial leaves the club every summer. That doesn't mean that I don't get behind him when he plays for United. Obviously, of course I do, and, and I don't see the talent in him because obviously, of course I do. We see him there, you see what he can do. Then yes, but I mean the investment in that for for what the potential drawback is. Like we've already seen this season, you know how good he was at the start of it, but then you saw three months of him barely in the side, and then you've seen him come in again. But we are. This is a moment in time where we've got to be more optimistic. I'm certainly being like that. I'm not ever going to turn my back on him. I wouldn't say, oh, I don't think he's going to do this or that. I do have my reservations, but I want him to come good. I want him to fulfil the potential and everything like that. And, and yeah, there, there is an element of what happened yesterday against Forest, especially the first half. They were really poor. The goals that they gave away were really sloppy. To give away a goal like that uh, at a corner shouldn't be happening yeah. for, for any Premier League team. But as well as we did, I know that sometimes set pieces are clever and stuff. That was so basic. As good as the finish was. It reminded me, actually, to, to bring this comment up because... We were talking before, before we came on air. This was the first game that I took my nephew to after Ronaldo, so we decided on a new hero for him, and he's he's chosen Rashford. 
good selection. And he was buzzing when Rashford scored. And I, I commented about it on, on Twitter. I said, oh, he, he, chose, he chose his hero well or something like that. And some very clever guy said, well, it, it was easy. It was Forrest. Tell that, say that when we come up against a proper opponent. So I, I didn't reply, but I, I did feel like saying, yeah, okay, I'll tell my eight-year-old nephew not to get excited about him. He can only do that <laughs> if he does it against it. The point being that he, he, it goes back to the adult conversation that we're having in the room, in the podcast, about beating what's in front of you. And that's what we did. Sure. So that's what we did yesterday. It, does it convince that Martial can do it over the next four or five months when we need goals? See, I know. I guess the consequential point that you're making is about Gagpo. I'm not as concerned about that in the short term. I think he's a good player. I think he impressed. I know some people are going, oh, I well, I don't think he impressed now because he's going to Liverpool. No, I still think he's an impressive player. But I look at Garnacho, I look at that stacked area of the side, what you've already yeah. said, and I think... Would I want Gakpo in? Yes, if you gave me the choice, of course. But would you? Would I risk losing six months of momentum of Garnacho? Would I risk upsetting him and losing him when you're having this contract negotiation with him? I'm not sure that I would. So when you see all of these kind of elements, the attacking, I, I'm, I'm bothered about us not having a number nine. But when I was talking earlier about Rashford and his versatility and these these complementary skill sets in the forward line, it reminds me a little bit of, and I don't want to say it's Ronaldo and Rooney, but neither of those guys were out and out centre forwards, when, and neither was Carlos Tevez when he came in. You wouldn't say these guys are thirty goals season strikers, but they all turned into strikers who got around that number because of the movement of each other. And that's what you want. I'm not saying, again, we're, we're doing the if thing with Rashford and Martial because we've been here before, but you know that they've got the talent. The talent is not in question. It, it, the question is the consistency to do it on such an explosive way that they make that breakthrough and they dominate the top defences. Now, against Liverpool earlier in the season, we saw that they were capable of it. And we have seen against City that they're capable of it in the past. It's about, right. it's about that level of consistency. So I was excited by different things that I saw against Forest, Not necessarily against them. It was great to see both of them score. I was more impressed with, I know we'll talk about it, Casemiro. But in terms of I, I, what I'm trying to, just to finish the point, is that I was impressed to see Rashford and Martial score yesterday. But that's not what is going to impress me about them over the next four or five months. They've, like you've already alluded to, their, their test is much bigger than what we saw against Forest. Yeah, look, I mean, I get to wrap up the point, I guess. United are in a good place if everyone stays fit. If they yeah. don't, United have got a problem. And and we are overstacked on the left-hand side. We've got three players in Sancho, Rashford and, and Garnacho who probably pre- prefer to play there. Sancho's off trying to get fit, trying to get in the right mental state. Not exactly sure what's going on there, but clearly they're trying to identify why he hasn't succeeded. They United too much talent to fail, you know. And let, let me and, into, and, okay, if I just jump in on that one, Ed, sure, about yeah. Sancho. Not not to offer any points, but just in the red news for for the game, or this latest edition of red news, there's a little bit in there, only a couple of lines, but it does make a comment about how the club are quite happy with how the everything's been handled with the Sancho situation as as difficult as it is for us to understand on the outside it does seem like the club are quite happy with how it's moving along I, yeah. I'm just saying that 
I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not offering any information other than that that bit, little bit was in Red News. Well, they have oh. a plan for him. Yeah. Don't they? And and that's good, right? So because he is he is he should be a really elite footballer. And if they can find a way of getting him into the side, I mean he's he's completely different from all of United's other forwards and he he he's very important actually if you look at when he plays to United's ability to put together threatening attacks. He's more he's more Bruno than he is any of the other forwards in yeah. terms of his contribution to the overall build up and and whether he starts or he's something else he's a, he should be a really important forward for United and just another option it just it does mean that United overloaded in that area and that's one of the reasons why Gakpo didn't quite make sense since that's where he's been playing now in the World Cup he played as a number ten behind Memphis which is not where he's been playing for PSV and not where he's been hmm. scoring all the goals. And he's been scoring the goals by drifting in from the left into central areas. And maybe, maybe I suspect if it's confirmed, that's where he'll play for Liverpool as well, given that Diaz and, and Jota are both injured and they've been playing Nunes through the middle. You know, I suspect he's going to take up that kind of role if, if that's confirmed for Liverpool. And, and so maybe that wasn't quite the right signing. You know, and 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 like it happens every January. Yeah, if yeah. Uh, if rivals make signing and and it's really tight this time between United, Liverpool, Spurs, and Chelsea for possibly one or two places in the Champions League. If we're saying that Arsenal and City are sort of away there, and yeah. Newcastle sadly are, are, are continuing their good form from before the World Cup, so that's really tight. And if Chelsea and Liverpool strengthen, and that's the difference between making the Champions League or not, penny pinching now looks dumb. Now, I know I know why United are penny pinching because there's no money in the kitty. <laughs> it's yeah. Just and there's nothing. We're we're broke and uh, like literally cash poor, which has been is an unusual situation for United. But if if that's the difference between making the Champions League or not, then it's it's a poor financial decision, not a good one. And and that's why people. I kind of concerned, uh, and I and I kind of understand the the concern because the foundations that we've been talking about of of, of Rashford and Martial especially are, are like built on shaky ground, especially Martial. If he goes down, Rashford has to go through the middle, and that changes the dynamic a little bit. Yeah, assuming United don't go out and sign, I don't know. Marco Anatovic or Troy Deeney or uh, some, well, the, some other clogger on loan. The the talk is Felix, right? That's the, yeah, the obvious I don't think that's going to happen either. No, but yeah. the it, it's a lot more logical than Gakpo in that they need to get his wages down for FFP, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And obviously, I don't think they're, oh, they're 100% sold on a direct sale at this point, they just kind of need to meet some kind of themselves. And obviously that suits United in that kind of sense, but it's still an astronomical amount of money to take on and that they feel like they've lightened the load in terms of what's just going on with Ronaldo. They're looking for, obviously, a cheaper alternative. I think where I am with it, I'd like to see a striker come in, but I am I think I'm fairly similar in terms of... Or we, we both, at least, you and I understand the reason. I, I can see a lot of people being hysterical online about it, but I'm, I'm kind of like, well, I don't understand how you don't how you don't understand we're not in a position to be doing. You know, like, 
40 million for Gakpo is off the table for Manchester United at the moment in time. And this is just, it's just a fact of, of life. They can't do it. So why get upset about it? It's not going to happen. And now I understand if the motivation is what we're getting upset about the ownership. I don't think people, from what I'm seeing, people are getting upset that we're not buying a striker in January. So they're two different conversations for me, even though they're related to the same thing. Don't get me wrong. I, I mean, I'm not getting upset if we don't. It's a weird thing, and it goes. I guess it, it somewhat goes back to the the Casemiro and Anthony signings. We speculated to accumulate there. Was that the speculation? Yep. What? Where's the accumulation? Did you go a little bit further in order to sort of get get the goal where you're going to? And maybe that's that's part of the conversation that will be Tenag will be having in the next sort of ten days or so. And then there's the other conversation: is let let's say Felix for the sake of the argument. Is he that number nine? He's, he doesn't play in that position. Really, is a, a direct number sure. nine. Does he? Does he liberate the others in the way that I'm talking about Ronaldo, Rooney, Tevez? Do, does he do that? Maybe he does because he does have those kind of qualities. But then again, you are putting those kind of faiths against still in Rashford and Martial. So yeah, it is yeah, a yeah. it's a strange period for United. Everything does feel positive, but like I think you've said a couple of times that a lot of it does seem to rest on this capability to get a number nine in or someone even not a number nine someone who's going to be able to deliver 10 goals between now and the summer right I mean I think that's going to be really hard to hard to do to bring in that kind of player I mean even even if it was Jao Felix and you're right often often he plays as sort of shadow striker slightly deeper it's the FFP obligation is it's going to be about 20 million pounds a year so half of that and then his wages is a sort of 20 odd million pound commitment for the rest of the season you don't spread that out over hmm. a number of years of the contract and I, I guess you can make the argument they have saved quite a bit of money with Ronaldo leaving but they're just cash poor and and it, it's a very odd situation for United but burn through that cash they have 200 million pounds in transfer commitments it's just not a good financial situation the the well has run dry even the glazers can't dip into it and that's why the club are being sold what? Uh, and so we may have to wait for the summer for splashing new signings when the the new owners come in whether there's some kind of american hedge fund or a or a, a, a dictator wanting to sport wash their reputation, whatever it is, they're probably going to have to wait till the summer for those those big names to come in. Where is Odion Igalo? Uh, I I think he's playing in in the Saudi league or something like that, isn't he? So I I I've never quite worked out how to unfollow people on Instagram. So he's in my Instagram timeline, and the he's memories. always on a boat somewhere. <laughs> The, mem- yeah, I know. the memories are too strong for you to make that cut right now. I understand. Yeah. He, he was a nice guy. He, he loved playing for United. I'm sure Odion Igala would return and play for free. I'm sure he I'm sure would. I'm sure he would. I'm, I'm not sure he's quite what United need, but yeah. Well, yeah, why not? I, I'm just saying he wasn't when we got him in the first place. So what's different apart from two years? Yeah, it's all good. Let's let's talk about Casemiro because yes. he he was immense against Forest and just seemed to be the the player who the entire team ticked around. I yeah. mean, more more than a hundred passes, and it's been a while since we've had a player like that. And it, I mean, it's not just his passing; he's obviously all around the pitch. Uh, he's just very high quality. He's just very intelligent. Knows where other players should be. Knows where he needs to be knows where the ball needs to be. It's been a while since we've had a midfielder of that kind of that kind of ilk, really. Yeah. And he was just really, really good. 
it took him. So the conversations that we were having at the start of the season when the integration was was going on, and they were saying, "Oh, he's a bit of a flop. Or is this a player that you know the tenor really want him? Is it going to be more problems for United?" It always seemed to me like they were trying to find the right time to get him in, the right kind of yeah. game to put him in where he could find his feet, where he wouldn't be lost in the pace of the game or anything. I think that part of it was managed very well. And so when he's come in, he has kind of started to make that domain his own, which you now see him because he's running games. He's, he's absolutely bossing those midfield. That is his domain. He's there. He, he can drop back into the defence and let them split apart. He can push up a little bit. His timing is immaculate. His passing is wonderful. His his positioning is incredible. He's a midfielder, and this is going to sound like I'm just getting carried away, but I, I really am not. I saw Robson, I saw Keane, and then I see Casemiro. He's the next person in that line. I don't think... I, I love Carrick. I thought he was a brilliant player. We've had some good midfielders in, in the duration. Paul Scholes a different kind of midfielder. I'm not I'm not putting them in the same kind of bracket. But in terms of a proper midfielder, he's unbelievable. He, he really is. He's world-class. We're seeing all the kind of qualities that... A, a few people today have been a bit snarky, saying, oh, why are, we, why are we all showing off about Casemiro? He played for Real Madrid. And that's not the point. He did play for Real Madrid alongside Cruz and Modric and... They were people asking questions. They were kind of people, the kind of people saying, "Is he the water carrier, the day chomp?" So they would have been disparaging about him. Does he have the quality? And now you're seeing that he does. That he, he actually can boss games, and not just that, that he does it at Premier League level, where the pace is a lot um, great. Yes, admittedly, yesterday against Nottingham Forest, but it's, it's indicative of his over overarching sure. form over the, the last few months of the season. Yeah, Ed, he's unbelievable. I love him to bits. He's already. Apart from Rashford, Rashford's a different case because he's Manchester's own, but Casemiro after that is my my favourite already. I absolutely adore him. He's made such a significant and profound difference to this team, to the way that Ten Hag wants to play, you can see there. He's such an effectual player. I guess it would be a great question to put out to listeners. Where does he stand in like the sort of post-Ferguson signings already? Because he's so good. He's unbelievable and... For a player to make, this is how good a player he is, for a player to make as many slide tackles as he does in a game and for them to like pretty much be perfect every single time, that tells you something about his capability to read a game at this level. He, he's unbelievable. And I'm, we're talking about speculating to accumulate. I don't care about his age. That kind of midfielder is going to be absolute. If we didn't have him, I, I shudder to think what we'd be... Like well, we know what. Oh yeah, we, well we, we've seen we've we, seen we what saw we, it. Yeah, like. we, we saw it. Yeah, yeah, we've seen so, we've seen McFred, yeah. and this is a, a vast, vast upgrade. I mean, I, I think Paul and I used to always have this conversation: the the difference that a world class player makes, yeah, than bringing in three non world class players is is night and day. It's just it makes such a big difference, and you took a few games to integrate. Totally fine in the in the world of social media. That is no, that's not acceptable apparently. But for people who like you and me, who've watched football since we're in our cradles, yeah. we uh, I think we we always knew what transformative effect a world class player could have. He, he's not in a five times Champions League winning side at Real Madrid for nearly ten years without being a very good player. My only concern, literally only concern with Casemiro, was the the impact the finances would have. 
Mm. So buying buying a player 30 years old, 31 next month, February, I think, for 70-odd million euros was obviously going to have an impact. And alongside Anthony, that's the reason why United didn't buy Gekpo in the summer. Yeah. And and part of the reason why United won't play buy another play now. There are there are consequences to that kind of spending yeah. and the fact that United pushed the boat out. I don't know what their rationale and thinking is sometimes in in terms of like when they'll spend money and when they refuse to spend money. It doesn't seem very consistent, even with the, the football director in place now. And and in the summer they definitely pushed the boat out on those two players and and, and especially with Anthony probably paid tens of millions of euros too much because he's clearly not a finished player. Mm. Casemiro definitely is. And he's had an immediate and transformative impact on United's midfield. And I suppose coming back to my earlier point about Champions League, if United do qualify for the Champions League and and it was Casemiro that made the difference in not just games like the one against Forest, but in the really big games that are to come, then it will be worth every penny. It's just had an immediate financial impact, I guess. Yeah. And, and the other thing is we don't know exactly because United's cash reserves dropped so significantly yeah. over the past year. We don't know how much of that was paid up front. It may well have been quite a lot. Yeah. Madrid may have no, demanded that. Anyway, he was great. The other player we should, we should talk about, I think, I mean, there's many we can talk about, is Luke Shaw, who was asked to play at a centre-back. I don't know about, I mean, you're in the stadium, but on, on TV, the commentators were, of course, going, talking all about his ability to head a ball and would he be able to do that? And I was like, what? I mean, one, have you seen Forrest play? Uh, two, yeah. he's, he's played central defence before. I mean, at least in the three, yeah. he, he will, I think he'd get used to it. I wasn't too concerned honestly i thought it, the positioning especially in the channels is different but i didn't think it yeah. would be a, a real problem for him in the end he made over 100 passes as well luke shaw in this game and he looked pretty natural there i don't think we played too many games at center half but well done good good performance yeah no yeah i thought he was very good it, it, yeah it was strange to hear that he was in the side at center half and that's an indictment of Maguire's position at the moment because obviously he was fit enough to well enough to be on the bench and, and come on and play some part of the game. I do think that it's also an indication of the manager's preference to play a left-sided, a left-footed player at that. He's already very deeply set on that, that he thinks it should be a left-footer at left centre-half, which, fair enough, he's entitled to sort of make that call within his defensive unit. I didn't have any reservation about his ability to hit the ball. He's quite... He's, is he six foot? He's, he's around six. Well, well, his Wikipedia profile says six foot one. Yeah, I'm, so he's, I'm he's, not sure I believe that. No, it, well, so. he's, he's around that. He's not sure. He's not, Obviously, you yep. have a concern if they put him Molassia in there, or like, oh, and if you put Martinez in there, there's plenty of people who, well, every single person who has analysed football this season has expressed concern about Martinez's height. So that that part of it, no. It, the the problem that I have with Luke Shaw at centre half is the problem that I've got with him at left back is is his positioning clever enough, really. But I think it probably did wonders for him to be in that area because he's kind of like, no, that is your position. You're not supposed to do anything else. You know, you're supposed to just use the ball simply, move it on, and he did it very easy. Yes, of course. Again, it was Forrest. the The job was made somewhat comfortable with him for him by the opposition. By the way, yep. we should also 
give credit to Varane for that because I think he organised it. He, oh, he, yeah. he, he had to give Ver- the organisation of the back line. It had to be down to him and he was fantastic with that. It helped everyone around Again, him. Again, talking about a world-class player. Yeah. Just just immense. Just pray to whatever God you believe in that he stays fit. Well, I, so. I did after the World Cup final and it obviously worked because he was back in the team a few yeah. days later. But yeah, no, he was he was very good. Again, it is the with with Casemiro with Varane and a little bit with Luke Shaw, but particularly with Varane and Casemiro, it's the world class players making the simple things look really good. And you could easily take Casemiro's performance yesterday for granted. You could easily take Varane's performance yesterday for granted. And we do, we do when United do, are doing well, but when you haven't seen it for a long time, that's why we're raving about it so much because you're looking at a player who. Has just dominated a Premier League midfield, and how, how many times were we, we were we having conversations last season, Ed, where we were just saying, "Well, this United team cannot be proactive against any side in the division. They simply can't do it because they don't have the players to do it." Now they put one, like you said earlier, one world class player in at the expense of three who aren't world class, and you are now seeing a team that can be proactive against other teams in the top division, and. Forgive us if we will be a bit enthusiastic about a 3-0 win over Nottingham Forest. But when you do see something that's routine and you haven't seen it for a long time, they're the green shoots that you do get excited about. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I thought the role of the fullbacks was pretty interesting. Obviously, we had when Bissaka in the side. He's played two game- games in a row now with Dallo being injured. And he did okay. I mean, it, it hasn't... Like he didn't show me anything that I didn't know about him. I mean, he is strong in one-on-one defensive situations as long as he doesn't go wandering because he does have a tendency to do that. We've seen that, and and he did okay going forward. It, yes. I was just re-looking at the data and and my 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 problem with him and, and in fact Ten Hag's problem with him is that he doesn't progress the ball into the final third enough, and it's not just about the delivery, which was. Fantastic against Burnley for his assist there, yeah. but most of the time isn't. But he doesn't get into the final third or move the ball into the final third. He doesn't pass the ball, basically. And that is a problem. Uh, and uh, he made two passes into the final third. There... Malassia's eight. Uh, and, and in fact, like if, if you put, once Luke Shaw's back in the left-hand side, he'll make even more. I mean, he's, he's absolutely world-class in moving the ball into attacking areas. Yeah. Luke Shaw, I mean, you wouldn't believe it, right? Yeah. People, he's been a sort of joke for many of his years at United but so that that's why uh, as soon as Dallas fit Juan Bazaka will be out the side but he did all right, he did all I, right. I, I, yeah do you know what there was a move maybe one of those two touches where he combined with Malassia in the box like quite quite late on but I you said that you didn't see anything that you don't know about him I, I'd go along with that but what I will say is considering we haven't seen him for a long time and these last couple of weeks, we have seen him in the team. I I think that when I've seen him in attacking positions, I've expected him to be more clunky than what he has been. I think he's been a bit more smooth on the ball than a bit more not adventurous in the in the sense that he's bombarding like Cafu or anything, but adventurous in the in the sense that if he pops up in an attacking area and he has done not necessarily with the ball, but he's been in position because I definitely saw him in an attacking midfield area yesterday where I might not have expected to have seen him in the past. I haven't had the concern that if he got the ball, he he wouldn't know what to do with it. And I think that's more probably to do with the system and the other players around him, but that's what makes a team. And when you look at a player like him who we don't we didn't know what to expect, 
coming back into the side. We didn't know about because when I saw him in the friendlies, I'll be honest, he looked like a player who did not want to be at the club. Oh, very much so. So, yeah. so now you've yeah. seen him and he's played all right. Then you're thinking, no, do you know what? There's no reason. There isn't a reason for why he shouldn't be given a chance. I'm not saying a chance to be the, the starting right back, but a chance to get game time, a chance to take the pressure off Dallow, and a chance to put pressure on Dallow so that it's not his own p- p- position in the side because Dallow's yeah. not the right back that's good. Sorry if this is going to sound like I'm being too critical. He's not the right back that's going to win us the league title. So he right. needs pressure on him as well. And I don't think that's a bad position for United to be in. It does feel for for the first time in a long time that with the, it's a good kind of squad squad management system in that players are pushing each other with positive form rather than this player's out of form, he's going to be kicked out yeah, of the yeah. side. Uh, uh, it's it. very important, yeah. You're right, you're right. I I, I, I did wonder if there was a, a chance of getting some income in, whether he would be one. But this, as you know, I'm not even going to get that big a fee for him. I, I don't know what... Yeah, Palace's we're... financial situation is there exactly. Was that there, there was some interest there. It'd probably be a loan, and it's probably better keeping the better value the squad yeah. for squad competition exactly. than yeah. than taking a three yeah. million pound loan fee or whatever. It would exactly. Be. Yeah. We've got a game coming up at the weekend against the Wayat Wolves. Way, yeah, it is Wayat Wolves. Yeah. Wayat Wolves, who just had, uh, I think I'm right in saying, just the one game under Yulan Lopetegui, who, who's a high-class manager, I think, and a different style of manager to what Wolves have had hmm. um, in the past. And they've they brought in uh, Diego Costa, who's still going, age 975. And uh, still and, going um, as well. Still going. Yeah, of, he's uh, still a spiky still fucker, isn't guy, he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, the other Brazilian lad from Atletico, Mateo Cunha, yeah. who's not really a big goal scorer, but is a nice player actually. Yeah, I think. I mean, he's obviously there's players ahead of him, and also looks like Atletico need the money at the moment. So they, I think, they will transform into a different prospect rather than this sort of dour, let's try and win one nil type team that we've seen for quite a few years at Wolves. And I mean, it'll take a while, I'm sure, for Lopetegui to to put his stamp yeah. on the team. But well, we saw some of it, right? They were throwing players forward to get that last minute winner, injury time winner. Yeah, at, at the weekend, I guess it was. And so, yeah, be be interesting. Very different trip to Molyneux. Yeah, but I think that's what that's the thing that works for United. Hopefully, I'm saying that again, trying to be optimistic about this. When whenever a manager comes in and tries to sort of turn a ship around. In terms of their their identity, because yeah, any game against Wolves since they came up has been absolute disaster to watch. I've heard every single one of those yeah. minutes of those games. None of them have been enjoyable. Even when we've won, none of it's been fun to watch. It's always been like nil nil or one nil late on, or one yeah. one. So many one ones, and then obviously they beat us a couple of times at Molyneux as well. They've been horrible, horrible games to watch, and that's because of the way that they've set up. Now, I'm not criticising that because other that's the way that they've found to get results against us, and it worked, and it was our obligation to overcome that. But they were the, the same against every other team as well. Nobody can say that they've enjoyed watching Wolves. I don't even think Wolves fans have enjoyed watching Wolves. And they, they <laughs> I'm were, sure they, they haven't. They went without Premier League football for a long time. They're going to open up, obviously. How long that process is going to take is going to be one thing you would think that that benefits a team that wants to try and play adventurous football against them because while they're trying to 
ascertain this new identity. They're going to be little dips in their own form and like glaring opportunities to sort of seize advantage from teams who are um, ambitious enough to do that. United are definitely ambitious enough. They they seek to win every game that they play, which is not something again that we take for granted. And, right. and so I'm starting to though, sixteen wins in the twenty one games since that disaster at Brentford. Really, Under I, 10 I didn't know that. That's, yeah, yeah. that's really impressive. But yeah, that, that does again stand to the. What the manager's trying to do, he is trying to win the games of football, which seems like a very simple thing because it's the the principal mandate for a football football manager. But it, <laughs> football is a play to win, yeah. But it, but when you see again taking the the simple things for granted, the, this is one of those kind of things where it, it really does help if if a game is stripped back to basics because if they they are trying to simply sort of redefine their style of play and United are further along in that road and uh, and they're full of confidence at the moment with two big wins I know that they'll have a little bit of confidence as well but it does it does I think it bodes well for a good but I'm I'm not saying I'm looking forward to it Ed because I can get so, <laughs> we've all fallen for that before, and <laughs> and wolves will will invariably make you suffer. So I can't say I'm looking forward to it, but I do have more optimis- optimism about it being a more open game than I have for yeah. any game since they've most recently been promoted. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's hope so. Yeah. Oh God, Molyneux. Molyneux was where Rio Ferdinand played one of his very few games in central midfield for United, and United lost one nil. If you remember that one back in the year. Uh, was that just before mm, his ban? early two thousands? I can't remember what season it was exactly. Now. I think it was. Was it? Was it the one where we'd been unbeaten at the start of the season? And this was. I think it was Arsenal's unbeaten season. So we'd been unbeaten for a long time. I, I may be wrong on that, but no, but yeah, that sounds about right. That might be right. Just, yeah. just before so, his ban, they'd, they'd announced that he was going to be banned. The, the FA right. gave us the, the the nice present of that sort of month or two-month spell where we knew that he was going to be out. We knew it was going to be a long time. We knew it was going to be costly, but we weren't quite sure when that was going to kick yeah. in. And that was, yeah, I, I do remember, and was it like a, a year or so later, that, or maybe two years later, that Ferdinand was tried, as we're going way off Molyneux, but he put him in, in defensive midfield against Blackburn and David Bentley scored. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were very few games he played there anyway. One of them was pretty much... And he uh, never worked. Sure yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. That's right. It's like Roy Keane playing at centre-half. Who did we lose 3-0 to that time when he did it? Anyway, like yeah. great players are often great players in the position they play. Although Casemiro played at the back against Burnley, didn't he? And was perfectly fine there. I'm not, not quite sure it's the same proposition. No, but, no, uh, but, but Burnley, a difficult, horrible team to watch, trying to find a new identity. I'm not saying play Casemiro at centre-back against Wolves. Eric... I feel listening. Football, that was. You, you probably are listening, Eric. So if you are, don't don't play Casemiro at Molyneux at centre half. Play him in midfield. You'll do a good yeah. job there. I, I, one one thing I wanted to to mention because obviously you know I'm as listeners will know I'm based in the states these days. So the coverage of the Premier League is is NBC and they do a great job. Right, it's yeah. really good quality coverage. The t- typical typically the pundits are Robbie Earl and the Robbie Musto, and they're they're both perfectly good pundits. Yeah. But what they do is pitch side interviews after the game, and but not your classic pitch side interview in front of all the zing hoardings with Jeff Shreves asking them the questions or something like that. They have them with the panel. So we had Tim Howard, Robbie Musto, and Robbie Earl, 
and he just came and stood with them and had a conversation. And they they all asked him a few questions, and he talked about it. He's just very personable. He had good answers. They asked him about details. Yeah. Rashford's positioning, the transition, what they're hoping, what he's hoping for, what how he's trying to get the team to play, how they play in the transitions versus how they play in the defensive phase. And it's just like it was it's very good coverage. And Ten Hag is a man who clearly, very clearly knows what he wants, is able to articulate it and has authority. And I think we haven't had that a lot in the last 10 years. No, yeah. And it just seems to bode very well for the future. And then Bruno did the same thing. And uh, he's obviously just very excitable, but very... And getting a little little bit of Manchester twang in his Portuguese action, accent. You know, yeah, not quite yeah, gone full Ollie yet. Yeah, Malby, yes. <laughs> yeah, Malby, yeah. yeah. yeah no, yeah. yeah, but they do the... We noticed that because we were in South Stand, so... But the, the prime setup is imitating that now. They do exactly the same right. kind of thing. So those who watched the game on Prime would have seen exactly that. I know what you're talking about because I've seen the US coverage of it. And they, but they they were doing exactly the same kind of thing. And, and that's not a bad thing because their analysis and coverage of Premier League football, while you're talking about the, the pundits, the two Robbies, mentioned Danny Eganbottom, former United player. He's right. absolutely tremendous on, on the US coverage of the of the game. Yes. But yeah, they, 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 they're imitating that. In, and to be fair, British football could do with some proper modernisation. There are some things from the American coverage of the game that we can learn in a positive way, and that's certainly one of well, them. Well, I can't learn anything from Fox because their coverage of the <laughs> World Cup was absolutely <laughs> embarrassing. Just awful. Some things. Advert some things. Terrible. Terrible. Anyway, all right, we'll leave it there. Yeah, come on, you Reds. Victory at Molyneux. We, we, we've suffered enough there. I think it's time for a nice, comfortable victory, please. 